Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Wonder, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Superspeed Golf. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me tonight here on Next on the Tee. I hope your week is off to a great start. We actually had a sunny day here in Atlanta. No rain for a change, and uh, I'm not sure I remember the last time that that happened. And on top of that, the high was 70. I was It was actually, you know, beautiful golf weather. Wish I could have been out on the golf course today, but uh, missed that opportunity. But hopefully we uh, have a lot better weather now going forward. And here we are. It's Players Week, you know, which is sort of like being the fifth veto if you're in such a select group that that tournament is, but uh, if you're just not one of the Fab Four. You're close, but you're not quite there. But it's a great golf tournament, always fun to watch. There's nothing like the finishing holes out there at uh, TPC Sawgrass. So looking forward to seeing how things unfold this week there. And, and speaking of the players, we're going to talk a bit about that throughout tonight's show, and I'm really excited that I'm going to get to do that. I'm going to get to share Three really great guests with you tonight. My first guest is going to be Champions Tour Pro Bob Estes. And Bob is uh, off to a great start this year out on tour. He's got three top 15 finishes in the four tournaments he's played so far. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about his plans and his goals for the 2019 season. Also want to get his memories of playing in the Arnold Palmer Invitational, the Players and the Masters. And Bob was paired with Mr. Palmer in his final Masters appearance back in 2004, so really looking forward to hearing that story. also want to get Bob's take on the new rules and how much equipment has changed over the course of his playing career. So a lot to get into and really looking forward to having Bob with me here back on the show. He's going to join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from LPGA legend Gail Graham. And Gail is in more Hall of Fames, boy, than you can shake a stick at. She was also the first non-American president of the LPGA. She's from Canada. She won a handful of times out on the Symmetra Tour and the LPGA Tour, currently playing out on the LPGA Legends Tour, and plus, she's also a great instructor. In fact, she's currently sharing the practice range with my man Tom Patry down there in Naples, so a lot to talk to uh, Gail about as well. She'll join me a little bit later on in this half hour. And speaking of Tom Patry, he'll be back again with me again tonight. And as you guys know, Tom is joining me a couple of times every month. Tonight, I'll get TP's thoughts on the Arnold Palmer Invitational as well and his memories of Mr. Palmer. Plus, Tom has been to Augusta National several times, good friends with Freddie Couples. So they've walked the golf course together. And Tom has been out there watching him several times. So want to talk to him about his memories of Augusta National and what it's like every year when he goes back. also want to get some playing lessons from Tom, including the importance of having good posture in our setup, right? We can't get the club uh, face back to center if we're not properly set up. So I want to talk about that. Plus the difference between having a good swing and being a good ball striker. How do those two things get off kilter? How can you have one without the other? I want to talk to TP about that. So he'll join me about 40 minutes from now. So a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me again tonight. 
Before we get started, you know, I always like to remind you about my good friend Mitch Lawrence and his podcast called Talking Golf Getaways. He and his co-host Darren Bunch let you know about great places to play, stay, and even eat and drink while you're out there. Again, their show is called Talking Golf Getaways. Now, it's moved over to a new site, Golf Trip X, and that's the letter X, which stands for experts. So, GolfTripX.com. Go there, check out their show, and learn about some of the hidden gems that are around the country. His twin brother, Matthew, you know how much I dig Matthew. He's fantastic. He's got a great golf show as well called Backspin Golf, which is back on the air now. You can stream it live Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Matthew's just so much fun, and all his guests are fantastic. Again, you can stream it live Sunday mornings, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time, by going online to WLXG.com or do what I did and download the WLXG app. And folks, you know we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from Steve Rondonero about what they've got going on up there. Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more. Play legendary golf this season at French Lick Resort. Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com to check it out yourself, and it's a fantastic place. You're going to see it. All about it when you go on their website. Be sure to check it out and to book your stay there as well. I also want to tell you about our good friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron from either their Fort Worth, PTX, or Edge irons. Go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications and, best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their spring collection out now, and it looks absolutely spectacular. Plan ahead for spring and be among the first to sample their happy hour collection. Got my eye on a couple of their great-looking new polos and sweaters. Boy, they're absolutely fantastic. See what I'm talking about by going online to bobbyjones.com. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Champions Tour Pro Bob Estes. Let me remind you a little bit about Bob's background. He is from Graham, Texas. Played his college golf at the University of Texas from 1984 to 1988, where he was a three-time All-American and a four-time All-Southwest Conference selection. He won the 1988 Haskins Award, which is presented annually to the most outstanding collegiate golfer in the nation. He helped the Long Longhorns win three tournaments in the 86-87 season and three more in the 87-88 year. In all, he won six times while he was at Texas at the 1985 Pan American Intercollegiate Tournament the Morris Williams Tournament twice in 87 and 88. He also won the Harvey Penick Intercollegiate Tournament in 87, and he won the Border Olympics and Rafael Alcon Intercollegiate Tournaments back in 1988. In 1999, Bob was inducted into the University of Texas Hall of Honor. He joined the PGA Tour in 1989 and was named Rookie of the Year by Golf Magazine. He earned his first tour win at the 1994 Texas Open, thanks in part to an opening round 62, and he led that tournament wire to wire. 
In all, he's won four times on the PGA Tour. In addition to the Texas Open, he won the 2001 Invincence Classic in Las Vegas, the 2001 FedEx St. Jude Classic, and the 2002 Kemper Open. On top of those four wins, he has 10 runner-up finishes, eight third-plate finishes, and 205 top 25s. On the Champions Tour, he's had nine top 10 finishes so far, including a third-place finish earlier this season at the Oasis Championship. And last weekend, tied for 15th at the Hogue Championship, and I'm very excited. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Bob. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. Glad to join you. So, Bob, first, before we get into all the golf stuff, I got to get uh, your thoughts on your Texas Longhorns in the, in football. Finished ranked ninth last season, 10-4 and four season. Nice win over Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Is Texas back? Are we going to see the Longhorns back in the, the uh, top 10 and fighting for a playoff now? Um, I think so now. Um, we weren't for sure during the season, but um, I guess deeper into the season, um, they definitely started playing a lot better and then capped it off with that big win against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. So um, just like Sam Elliger said, I think we're back. Bob, I, I want to get you where obviously we're on the heels now of the Arnold Palmer Invitational last weekend, and uh, you've had some success playing in that event. You tied for second in 98 just behind Ernie Els. want to get your recollections of uh, being out there at uh, at Bay Hill and your memories of playing in that event plus uh, of Mr. Palmer. Yeah, that was always a, a special event to play in. You know, it was one of the Invitationals, so it was a little bit more difficult to qualify for. You know, just a regular PGA Tour event. Not everybody got, everybody got to play. I think you had to be on the uh, in the top 70 on the either current money list or the previous year's money list to qualify for that one. And so you had to play to a higher standard. So um, I wasn't in it every year, but I remember playing it in a number of years. And it was always special to be there and to see Mr. Palmer in the locker room and around and on the golf course. And so... Yeah, I did have that runner-up finish that one year and always enjoyed playing there. And speaking of Mr. Palmer, Bob, um, you got the opportunity to play with him, be paired with him at the 2004 Masters, his last Masters appearance. Boy, that had to be something special. It was. Um, I'd gotten to know a number of the committee members members at Augusta National, and um, and so that was um, quite an honor to be selected to be one of the ones that was chosen to play with him in his last Masters. Um, I believe Nathan Smith was, I mean, I, I, I'm just making sure I have the correct last name, who was the net amateur champ. He was the other member of our group for those two days. And so, um, yeah, it was quite special. I think we had pretty good weather for the, the two days. And so it was, you know, everybody was out and excited to, to watch Mr. Palmer. And he was excited to see them. And he would usually hit a shot and then walk over near the ropes where he was able to, you know, visit with people that had been coming to watch him play for you know, 50 plus years. When you're walking those, that uh, final time with Mr. Palmer, what, what what was it like for you? Were you interacting, getting getting the opportunity to talk to him and remembering his event? Or are you, are you locked in at that point? Because it's not a practice round to you. It means a lot to him. It was a ceremonial round. But how did how did you deal with trying to, you know, have your own score and be a part of the Masters? but also soak in the experience with Mr. Palmer? Well, it was a little bit difficult, um, but you know, I'm glad that I got to experience it. Um, I, I can't remember everything about the two days, obviously, and I was very focused on um, trying to win the Masters because um, I had come close in 1999 when I tied for fourth. I wasn't playing quite as well 
at the at the time in 2004, and as it turns out, it was my last Masters as well, or at least up to now. But um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a great experience. I remember talking to Sam a lot. Uh, a couple of things happened, um, you know, during those two days. I can't remember if they both incidents happened on the same day or not. But um, uh, Mr. Palmer told us not to tell anybody, <laughs> so I'm not at liberty <laughs> to tell those stories yet until Sam gives me permission to. So that's something uh, just between me and um, Sam and my caddy Chuck at this point. But yeah, but I was I, I was very focused. I was um, certainly you know prepared as best I could be at the, at the time and I remember having to make par on the last hole just to make the cut um, and that's definitely a cut that you do not want to miss at the Masters everybody wants to not just play the Masters to play the weekend as well and so I parred the last and uh, got to play the weekend and yeah it was a it was a really it was a great week and just to expound just a little bit on your Masters experience what's it like you know, getting the opportunity, you know, you drive up Magnolia Lane, you're part of the Masters, the history, the the the, the, uh, the golf course itself, and everything that goes along with it. Is, is it different than any other place? Is it different than playing in the other majors? What's it like being a part of the Masters field? Oh, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, from the, the very first time that I went there, um, it's almost hard to put into words, but um, it's just, <laughs> it seems like, the week of the Masters, it seems almost like the the world stopped, and and so um, everybody's in such a a cheerful mood, um, and there's just no place else that um, any of us would rather be. The week of the Masters, it's just such a beautiful setting for a golf course. Everybody's so nice and so um, respectful of the players and the members and the game of golf in general. It's just such an amazing week every year. And as you talked about, you finished tied for fourth in 99. So I'm, I'm imagining you're going to bed after the third round on Saturday night, and you're only a couple of strokes back. Are you thinking to yourself, oh, my God? Well, yeah, but, you know, up to that point, that's, uh, I'd always hoped and planned on winning the Masters, and so I was looking forward to it, and I was playing well at the time, and um, my short game was probably as sharp as it had ever been. And so I, I'm sure I, you know, I hit it, you know, good enough, but my, my short game was really, really sharp that week. And I remember in particular, um, on that back nine, I believe I made eight pars and a birdie, but I was all over the hole and just could not get it to go down. So, so things could have turned out differently, but it was still a great experience. So, Bob, this week we look ahead to the Players' Championship, and you played in that tournament many times. What are what are some of your memories of being a part of uh, of that great golf tournament? The thing about the Players' Championship is just how difficult it usually is. Now, I guess when they moved to the springtime or moved to May, excuse me, in um, 2007, typically the golf course, um, you know, it, it may be played firmer and faster, but the weather can, can play havoc with that tournament, you know, as we've seen in the past. And so the weather does dictate a lot um, as far as how the, how that course and tournament, you know, play out. But um, it's, um, yeah, a tournament that I've, I've played well at at times and tournament and, and, and a, and a tournament that I've really struggled at at times. So I, I, I looked up some of my finishes and I think my best finish was a, a tie for 15th in 2012, if I'm not mistaken. But I also yep. noticed that there were a couple of scores that I shot in the, the 80s as well. So, um, 
Um, you know, I played a lot in the in the spring. You know, more of my players' championships were you know from 1990 through on um, 2006. There might have been or 2005 or six. Yeah. I'm trying to remember one of those years in there. I think I wasn't exempt and, and missed. But um, but yeah, the you get a lot of those cold fronts that um, are still maybe pushing through um, in March, and you can get some some pretty strong north winds. So I remember playing in some really bad weather at times, whether it was rain or wind or both, and that really makes it interesting um, on those last couple of holes, 17 and 18. And speaking of 17. Most, is that the most nerve-wracking tee shot in golf? Um, probably so. I, I'm sure there's a there's a few others, but um, but as far as just the 16th at um, in Phoenix at TPC Scottsdale, that's pretty nerve-wracking as well. But you miss the green there, and you don't have to re-tee. It's very nerve-wracking, and so you have to really focus and try to calm yourself down and and just hit the shot. And for the most part, you're almost always just playing to the center of the green there. But even the center of the green is is hard to hit with a, a wedge or nine or eight iron when your heart is beating that fast and you're maybe playing into a you know ten fifteen twenty mile an hour wind or a crosswind. So it's um, and obviously all those people watching you know with that amphitheater setting. So yeah, it's a it's a really nerve wracking shot. What's the best and worst shot? That, whether it was you or somebody else that might you might have been playing with. What's the best shot you've seen there? What's the worst shot you've seen? Well, I obviously we see a lot of the replays of guys that have made hole in ones or the shot where I think Fred hit it in the water and then either retreated or went to the drop circle and hold it for a three. And I actually did that once. I don't remember what year it was, but um, one of those years I hit it in the water, went to the drop circle, and then hold my third shot for a par. So um, that was pretty cool. Can't remember how I did that particular year, but um, yeah, we've seen seen all kinds, you know, you've seen the shots that um, in particular where guys hit it, they hit it perfectly solid and they're posing on it and it doesn't even land on the green. Typically, it, you know, it might fly over the back, you know, or one hop, you know, off the back of the green into the water. And so um, I, I've, I've hit a number of balls in the water there. Uh, I was actually glad to hear about the, the tournament moving back in the spring because every turn, every week of the Players' Championship, they always flash up that um, balls in the water leaderboard for uh, career or going back to a certain year. And I think Bob Tway is leading that. And I think I might still be in second place. So <laughs> I, I was glad to hear they're right? moving back to March. So I'm hoping that some of the veteran players will, um, you know, get wet a time or two, maybe bump me down the list, or maybe I'll move off of that <laughs> list at some point, And I won't have to be reminded of it every year. <laughs> That's great. Bob, switching gears a little bit, all the rage right now on golf radio has been about the rules changes, particularly the new drop rule. What are you and your peers out on the Champions Tour? What do you guys think about it? Um, I don't think too many guys have, you know, on the Champions Tour at least, too much trouble with the, the drop, you know, except maybe for the guys with, you know, bad backs. But um, I remember um, at the U.S. Um, Senior Open last year talking to somebody with the USGA about um, the proposed drop and how we might be changing that. And, you know, my suggestion was just anywhere between shoulder height and knee height. You know, it's like, why does it have to be so precise? Especially when you're able to often drop the ball anywhere within two club lengths or one club length, depending on the, the drop or the rule at the time. But, um, but that, 
obviously didn't get either passed on or accepted because now we're just dropping it knee high. So it's um, it's not that big a deal. I kind of understand why they did it, but um, you know that one is is just not as big a deal as maybe some of the other rules changes that um, I might disagree with. So to that end, what are some of the other ones you've looked at and you're scratching your head going, I don't get this? Um, the one in particular um, that I don't agree with is the one about uh, a damaged club. Not damaged out of anger, but maybe you just, um, you know, you're hitting shot up into a tree and the shaft breaks or, or you're hitting one of the, obviously, these drivers with very thin faces. Um, the face is cracked. And so um, on on the PGA Tour and on the Champions Tour, we're usually able to um, quickly have a replacement club um, in our bag. You know, a rules official might have to go and grab one of the locker and bring it back out to us. But um, but that's something that I disagree with as far as the new rule. I think that, you know, we should be able to, um, you know, replace a driver. We almost always have um, – you know, exact replicas of the first team driver that we play or, you know, putter, sandwich, three wood, whatever. And so I think that, um, you know, we should have still been able to um, replace those clubs. Um, I tweeted um, a couple weeks ago about a scenario. Imagine if Tiger Woods was, um, you know, had a one shot lead or anybody else, you know, teeing off um, the last round of the Masters. Right there next to the clubhouse, let's say, and the opening tee shot, um, the face of his driver cracks. You know, he, he could easily just walk, you know, steps in the locker room and, um, and grab the backup driver, but that's no longer allowed. So he'd be playing the last round of the Masters without, um, a driver or a driver he'd be comfortable with hitting. He could still maybe hit it, but who knows where the ball might go. So that's one of the rules I, I do, or one of the rule changes I disagree with. What about the flagstick? Are you uh, are you using the flagstick in the in the cup, or are you old school still pulling it out? I'm doing both. And one thing that I explain to people is a lot of times, don't forget from long range, we've always had the flagstick tended. So it's not so much about the flag being in versus out, and the balls with the flagstick and you know stay in or bounce away or whatever. A lot of times it has to do with just perception, you know, being able to to see better. So on longer putts in particular, um, I'll just have my caddy leave the flag in. No need to, I mean, I could have him obviously tended and remove it, but um, for the most part, um, on longer putts and other players in the Champions Tour have been doing the same thing. We just leave the flag in from longer distance. Um, yeah, just so we can also just, you know, see and judge the distance better. So um, some guys will still leave it in for shorter putts, but not very often on the Champions Tour. Seems like most of the guys do it kind of like I do it. Um, we will we'll leave it in on the longer putts and take it out on the shorter putts. Um, you know, sometimes the guy might roll it up there a few inches and still just go ahead and tap it in with the flag in. But usually when we're putting, um, you know, anywhere inside, you know, 20 feet, guys do it kind of like we have in the past and just have the caddy remove the flag stick. Um, not often are you going to hit a putt so hard that you have to worry about the flag stick actually slowing your ball down. Um so, um, yeah, that's kind of how we go about that on the Champions Tour. Most guys, anyway. Bob, just a couple more before we let you go. And I want to get your thoughts on golf equipment. It has certainly come a long ways since, you know, your late 80s when you when you first started getting out on the PGA Tour. How much better is it now 
than from when you started? And are you driving the ball the same distance that you were? You know, you're 53 now. Driving this, you're driving the same distance as you were when you were 23 and 33. Oh no, I'm hitting the ball much further. So were the rest of the guys in the Champions Tour before. You know, it's not just about the golf ball. It's a combination of all those factors. Um, the solid core balls, the the hot faces or thin faces, and graphite shafts. Um, so that's one of the things that's, you know, not talked about as often. Um, I have a couple of different drivers that I play depending on the golf courses or the day of, you know, the tournament or whatever. I have a locker driver that's about 45 inches, which I use a 60-gram shaft in, and my shorter driver, which is about 44 inches, has a 70-gram shaft. So I, um, so what I was going to say was is because of the, um, the weight of the clubs and being able to make them longer and, and having the ability to swing them faster and generate more club head speed, um, yeah, it's just a, a whole lot different than what it was in the past when we were playing wooden woods and, and heavy steel shafts, you know, straight through the back. So, yeah, a combination of all those factors allows us to um, hit the ball quite a bit further than we did, um, you know, when we were quite a bit younger. And Bob, as you look out for the rest of the 2019 season, what do you have goals set for yourself? What are you trying to achieve? What are you hoping for out of this year? Well, this is my first year that I'm planning on playing just great Champions Tour events and playing a full schedule in the last couple of years because of the major medical that I still had from a shoulder impingement I developed in 2013. I was splitting time with both tours. I did finish up last year um, playing mostly pretty much just on the the Champions Tour, but um, and just barely missed the the final event um, by one shot, basically playing in those 15 events. But this year, you know, I'll play you know 23 or four or five or whatever. Um, there's 27 events total, but a couple of them, um, or at least the first one, I was not eligible for. So yeah, the Charles Schwab Cup is something that I would certainly um, love to win, just like everybody else that's out there. Um, yeah, playing a full schedule to um, to try to achieve that goal. And if I don't win it, I'm still trying to finish just as high as I can at that points list at the end of the year. Bob, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Uh, well, uh, most people that do know me, <laughs> I know that I spend probably too much time on Twitter, but um, I am on Twitter a lot. Uh, Bob S. is PGA. Um, we talk a lot of golf and politics. Um, and then I, I'm maybe getting on um, Instagram just a little bit more. Um, I think that's Bob A. S. Um, on Instagram. So maybe I'll spend a little bit more, more time on that. I actually was on it a little bit today, but, uh, but more so on Twitter. So, um, that's where you'll, um, get more information and maybe get to know me a little bit better. Well, Bob, it's always great having you as part of the show. You're a great guest and I always enjoy our conversation and listening, listening to you talk uh, about your stories and your insights. I can't thank you enough for coming back and uh, being generous with your time tonight. I hope you'll come back and join me again real soon. I will. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Bob. All the best in your family. Take care. Okay. Thank you. You too. That is Bob Estes, and wow, what a great story! In the in the uh, in Mr. Palmer's last Masters, he gets paired with him and gets to spend uh, those uh, those two rounds with him. What an unbelievable story! And I tell you, Bob, like I say, is off to a great start on the Champions Tour. He's played in four tournaments and he's got three top 15s, including a uh, top three here recently. So doing great stuff. I really look forward to catching up with Bob. 
having him back on the show and really following his success all season out there on the Champions Tour. Before I get to my next guest, Gail Graham, I want to remind you about a couple of our sponsors. TaylorMade Golf has done it again. The all-new TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers have arrived, and what a story. They both feature speed-injected twist base created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, and I mean every single head, is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. Basically, every head now is Tour Spicy. Feed for all. Now available. Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is LPGA player and legend Gail Graham. Let me remind you a little bit about Gail's background. She's from Vanderhoof, British Columbia, out there in Western Canada. She played her college golf at Lamar University, where she was a four-year letterman and an academic All-American in 1986. She was a member of their 1983 team that finished seventh in the NCAA Division I National Championship. She was inducted into the Lamar University Hall of Honor back in February of 2000. Gail finished fifth in the Canadian Amateur Championship in 1985 and won the Manitoba Amateur Championship and the SMU Fall Classic that same year. She was a member of the Canadian Commonwealth Championship team in 1987, turned pro in 88, and won the Manhattan Futures Classic title. She qualified for the LPGA Tour in 1990 by finishing fifth at the LPGA Qualifying Tournament in the year before there in 89. She got her first win on tour at the 1995 Field Crest Cannon Open by two strokes over Tammy Green. She won again in 97 at the Australian Ladies Masters by one stroke over Kari Webb. She won the 98 Canadian PGA Women's Championship as well, and in 2001, she became the first non-American president of the LPGA Tour. 2002, she was awarded the William Mousy Powell Award, which is given annually to the LPGA player whose behavior and deeds exemplify the spirit, ideals, and values of the LPGA Tour. 2008, she was inducted into the Manitoba Golf Hall of Fame. 2015, inducted into the British Columbia Hall of Fame. And you can see her now out on the LPGA Legends Tour, plus alongside my good friend Tom Patry down at Esplanade Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida. And I am honored she is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Gail. Thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for that great introduction. <laughs> you are welcome. So, Gail, I got to ask you right off the top, what's it like sharing the practice tee with Tom Patry? <laughs> um this is a family show, right? No, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's no kids listening right now. Go ahead. It's all, you know, it's awesome. I've learned uh, an immense amount from Tom Patrick. He's given me a wonderful opportunity to be be next door to him um, on the tee box, and and um, you know, I've got a nice spot down there to, down here at Esplanade, and the the members are uh, wonderful, and we've got lots of outside students that come in, and and um, it's always a treat to be uh, with Tom out there and listen to him um, teach and, and watch how he he does things. Um, like I said, I've learned a ton, and, and he's been really great to me. And you guys are both members of uh, Golf Tip Magazine's uh, Top 25 Instructors. Talk about now the role that you're playing uh, with them and, and also some of the instruction that we can find available in their magazine when we subscribe. Well, um, I'm I'm working on some of the uh, 
the uh, articles now. Um, did a great photo shoot on a freezing cold day up in Orlando just before the PGA show. And um, so I've got all those to put together. Uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that uh, we need to try to help the golfer um, swing how their body is uh, allowing them to. And so I have found some keys that uh, make some, some difference for, for, you know, older players and um, one of them being rotation. So I've got a rotation. Uh, it's almost like a workshop on how to, make your body turn a little bit better and, and how to use, um, you know, pressure and and uh, weight shift to be able to get you to, to your left side, to your forward foot, excuse me. <laughs> I got to think about those lefties out there because I've got a few of them. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, try to get them through onto their forward foot so that they're making a motion towards the target rather than into the ground at the ball. So, um, you know, that's one of the things I'm working on. I think your know, short game is always a big topic with me um, and I know with Tom as well. And, you know, yeah. having played so many years of competitive golf, um, you really want to make it as simple as possible and have a little bit of a plan and, 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 a, and, a, and a type of technique that is very repeatable. And, um, you know, that's part of the game that I think now post-tour is much better for me as my short game is, is uh, pretty solid. And, um, you know, that's kind of nice when the ball goes awry. <laughs> You've got to be able to get it up and down from the trash can sometimes. And uh, so that's uh, that's another part that I'll be working on too. Yeah, you, know, you you mentioned the cold up in in Orlando, and for for all of us that live a little north of Florida, we are just now starting to see the temperatures get nice outside, and hopefully we're going to start to see some warmer, nicer weather. But for all of us that are mm-hmm. just now getting our golf clubs out of hibernation, what's the best way to get ourselves reacclimated for the new golf season? Well, I really I really think there needs to be um, a, a, especially as you get older, uh, some attention paid to your flexibility. Um, I have been, I have spent a good part of this winter working out with a trainer who's TPI certified, um, to give me opportunity to stretch the muscles that I want for my golf swing that, um, uh, maybe uh, over the course of definitely the winter, they would, uh, maybe atrophy or just not be used to, um, you know, the motion that the, that the golf swing requires. And I think it's really important to, to, get your body ready to make that motion. And I mentioned rotation earlier, you know, just some things that you can do to to make your body feel what that is going to feel like when you then have an impact. Um, you know, it's one thing to to just uh, stand up and stretch in the morning, but, you know, making sure that your your wrists are loose and your forearms aren't tight and, and your hamstrings have some flexibility in them and your lower back is stretched out, um, you know, even taking a couple clubs and, and just swinging with the weight of two clubs instead of one or an orange whip, um, that kind of thing will help you loosen up for your golf swing and to take it and swing it the opposite direction too. try to balance it out. Um, my golf swing is not very pretty from the left-hand side of the golf ball. And, but <laughs> if I, I know that if I swing from the left-hand side of the golf ball a little bit before I start hitting balls, I'm, I'm better um, able to have some good extensions through the ball because I've, loosened that side of my body up and I think that's that that's a really big part of it um you know leg strength and low back strength is is super important as well trying to make sure that you're strong there um we try to use those muscles especially as a smaller person and a shorter person uh you know I try to use what my dad used to call my lower center of gravity uh, my back and my legs to to drive through the golf ball and to make that good rotation to be able to to hit solid golf shots and repeat my golf swing. So, you know, that's I think that's really important. 
Um, I also think that as uh, coming out of the winter, you know, if you're going to approach the game with sort of a new vigor, then really, really turn your focus to your short game. Um, you know, I, I, I was just listening to Bob at the end saying he hits it further, uh, now than he did earlier in his career. And, and, um, you know, I could say the same thing too. And, and that equipment has a lot to do with that. Um, and the ball has a lot to do with that. But at the same time, I, I think I'm in better shape, um, than I was near the end of my golf career on tour. So I think that that plays a role of role in it as well. Um, so just, you know, making, making sure that you're physically ready to play and then, Having working on the short game so that your uh, scores will go down a lot quicker. Those scores seem, our strokes seem to count just the same as that long tee shot. So we should really be working there, and, and that's the the basis of the full golf swing comes in that little half swing. So if we can get that feeling comfortable and make it a good motion through the golf ball, you go to swing with the bigger clubs, uh, you'll be far far better off and, and have better tempo with them. And Gail, I remember Jack Nicholas always talking about how at the beginning of every new golf season, he would start out making sure his fundamentals were right. And when I was looking yeah. over uh, on, on your website, GailGramGolf.com, I know that's important to you as well. How can we make sure we're starting off back, you know, with the right grip and the proper stance and all of those sorts of things? Well, those are definitely things that are, are you know, I consider the sort of four sort of core fundamentals. I call them the gaps grip, alignment, posture, and stance. And under each one, obviously, there's there's a few details to it for it. So, you know, the grip is the only way we have contact with the golf club. And if your grip is incorrect, it's going to mess up the rest of your golf swing. Um, so start there. And, and you'll definitely see a, an instructor and make sure that you're holding on to the club correctly. Um, it's, a, it's hard to make a good golf swing if you're not starting from a good starting point. So um, alignment-wise, I am amazed. The more I teach, I'm amazed at how many people think that their body needs to align at the target. Um, and the body's a whole lot bigger than that club face. So if your club face is aimed at the target, at, but your body is as well, you're going to have a hard time making that the actual target. So we're going to make sure that we're parallel to our target line with our body instead of aiming at the target. Um, so that's that's very important. And I like to tell people, if you use your eyes and you let your body react, um, you will align a lot quicker and a lot more consistently in that position where you're parallel to your target line. So very important. Posture-wise, obviously we need a little angle to our swing to be able to take that club up over our shoulder and swing it back down to the ball. So um, posture really being important in that if your spine is curved um, and kind of rounded and your chin's in your chest, you're going to have an awfully hard time repeating your golf swing. So there has to be some straightness to your spine. And if you feel like you can tip over to the ball with your arms hanging very nicely from your shoulders and you're not reaching out to the golf ball, you're going to be able to make a nice turn in your backswing. So posture is super important. And then with the with the stance, if we're too wide, we have a hard time getting a nice turn through our golf swing. Um, we tend to slide a little bit. So you want to have a, a reasonable width to your uh, to your setup. Kind of, you know, we will say shoulder width, but it's amazing how many people their shoulder width is quite a bit larger than their shoulders. Um, so <laughs> I like to do a little test on people to see if they can, if they're biomechanically, they become balanced with their stance width, stance width. And really what it ends up being is, you know, the inside of your shoulders match the inside of your heels. And if you're pretty close to that, um, your stance is going to be uh, a correct width. And then looking at within your stance where your weight is, you know, good posture. Um, will allow you to get your weight 
um, sort of forward onto your shoelaces near the balls of your feet as opposed to back on your heels so that your legs can be involved in the golf swing. If we get back on our heels, we have a hard time making a motion with our legs and our lower body being involved. So those four things, the gaps, I like to have them uh, you know, give, a, give a check up to everyone when I, uh, pretty much every lesson, no matter they've been with me for one lesson or for a whole bunch. That's one of the first things I look at are those four things just to make sure they're correct every time. And, you know, some of the younger students that I teach, uh, the kids that are in high school and college, that's, I remind them all the time that if it's, if they're golf swing or they feel bad on the golf course, if things are not happening, go back and check those. That's easy to check when you're on the golf course and realize that maybe one of those things is out of whack and makes a, for a hard time to make the ball to go where you want it to. So fundamentals, definitely important. Get out and see your golf professional you know, early in the season to get those checks. And Gail, another thing that uh, I found on your website was a blog that you wrote regarding chipping and, and really having intention. And I think that's something a lot of we amateurs struggle with. We, we, we're sort of committed to the shot when we're standing <laughs> over it, but you, we don't fully commit. We get a little indecisive. We decelerate the club on the way down because we're not quite sure that was the right shot. And then we end up chunking it and coming up way short. How can we do a better job of committing to a shot? Well, having that intention, you mentioned that. So one of the things I like to tell people is that if you make a list, take to the grocery store, and you leave it at home, you might get everything that you had on the list, but you might get a few other things, and you will certainly be very inefficient in how you go through the grocery store. You'll be all over the place. You'll be back over here, aisle four, and then aisle 10, and then you have to go back to aisle four. So that's how I not making a plan when you when you hit any shot, um, but if you have a plan when you're when you're getting ready to hit a chip shot, your brain really likes that organization. And so if you choose not only you know where you want the ball to end up ultimately, hopefully the bottom of the cup, but also where you want the ball to land. And if you really pay attention to where you want that ball to land, when you make your motion in that chip shot and you do land it there, the result is going to be what you wanted it to. If you catch it a little thin, you might have a little top spin so that it'll land short but roll out to the pin. Or if you catch it really crisp, then you might have a little back spin so it'll carry a little bit further, it'll grab a bit, and then the result will be not so bad either. Um, so if you have that intention, that actual commitment to what you what you want to do with your shot, I think you're going to be far better off. The uh, One of the things, the biggest mistakes that, that amateur recreational golfers have is they they stop at the ball. They don't let their um, their swing, their motion in that chip shot finish. So I would say equal parts. If it goes back to eight o'clock in your backswing, you need to go through to eight o'clock in your follow or four o'clock in your follow through. Make that an even stroke back and through, just like the pendulum of a grandfather clock, and that's going to provide you with much better acceleration, steady acceleration through the ball. So you might actually hit the club face rather than the leading edge of the golf club or really down at the, at the bottom groove where the ball will then just go skidding across the green. And it's incredible to me how many people think, if I actually swing through that far, then the ball's going to go too far. I had a, a lady I was working with this morning who I was trying to get her to swing her hands from waist high to waist high. So back to waist high in the back swing and through the ball to waist high in the fall through. She was terrified. And every time she stopped at the ball, the ball would go zinging across the green. And then when she finally let it go from 9 o'clock all the way back to 3 o'clock, she hit this beautiful high-lofted shot. She stood around, turned around and looked at me, and just her chin just dropped, and her mouth just hung open. And 
And I said, see? And she goes, wow, I never would have thought that could have happened. Uh, sort of a misnomer <laughs> of the game. We don't, we want to swing through the ball, not do the ball. So, um, like you said, intention is very important in that, in every shot you hit. Um, and I think when you get closer to the green, you can be far more precise. And if you learn to hit different, um, clubs to land at the spot you want it to, to land at, you'll see that if you land the eight iron there in a little chip shot, it'll roll out quite a ways. If you land the sandwich where there, it's not going to roll out quite as much. So then you can go ahead and make a educated decision as to how much, how much air time you want versus how much roll time you want and, uh, and make that nice even pendulum swing end up with a pretty decent shot. And, and just to expand a little bit on what you just said there at the end, different clubs. I think a lot of us amateurs, we, when we're, when, no matter what the chip shot is, we're either grabbing our sandwich or we're grabbing our pitching wedge, <laughs> and that's it. And we're walking mm-hmm. out to hit hit that shot. I think based on some of the other things that I read, you're more of a proponent of make sure if you can get the ball on the ground for as long as possible, that's yeah. uh, a better opportunity, a better recipe for success, right? Yeah, absolutely. One of the very first things I do when I look at a shot that I'm about to hit, a chip shot that I'm about to hit is, where is halfway? And it's if, ha- if halfway to the hole is on the green, and let's say it's on the green maybe three or four feet, I can say, okay, that's my pitching wedge. That's my, that's my, that's ground zero. Pitching wedge is going to fly halfway and roll halfway. And so if I, if I know that I'm, I've got more green to work with and halfway is 15 feet onto the green, I've got that 15 feet that I can work with. I can go back and go down to nine iron or eight iron and just carry the ball just onto the green and let it roll out. You're in, you're in a little bit more control. You don't have to be as precise. Um, your skill level doesn't have to be as high if you get the ball on the ground quickly. And I think, you know, everybody loves to see that ball go up in the air and land. And, and But if we are standing there and we've got sandwich in our head, our tendency is to hit it where we think and end up coming up way too far short because we don't allow for there to be enough rollout. So you need that lower loss so that it will actually roll out the, you know, if you if you think about European golfer or I should say you know Scottish golf, where they roll the ball on the ground a lot, they seem to be pretty good at that. If you can figure out how to do that with everything up from you know your eight iron, your seven iron, your six iron, maybe even a hybrid, and have those land short of the green and, and see what they do, and then realize that that's a uneven, unknown surface. If you if you hit it into a hill, if you hit it into the grain. You're not really sure what that ball is going to do, but if you can land the ball on the green and let it roll out, you're going to have a better understanding of, of how that grass is going to work, work for you. It's going to let the ball roll out. So to then take those clubs, the little bit higher lofted ones, the pitching wedge, the sand wedge, maybe the lob wedge, and fly them on the green and see how far they go. I, I like to take students and, and drop a, a, a poker chip on the green and have them stand there with four or five different clubs and just try to make a swing that will land the ball at that poker chip so they can see how far it rolls out. And you can sort of see the light bulb go on where, wow, on number two, when the pin's up front, I could hit my sandwich and land it that far on the green and it'll stop by the hole. But if the pin's way back, I can't hit my sandwich because it got up in the air way too much and I'm, I don't know how far back to swing and how far through to swing. So maybe I could take my eight iron and land it at that same spot and it'll roll all the way back. And it's kind of fun, um, you know, to see people kind of grasp that and 
realize that there is some imagination here that you can definitely use and play rather than just try to hit these shots that you see the tour pros do every week. The big difference is they practice a whole lot more than uh, the amateur golfers do. They have better control of their ball. So, uh, you know, when, on those days where you feel a little sassy and you've got the, you've got a good feel going, sure, fly the ball. But definitely, if if you're trying to get your scores down, get that ball on the ground as fast as you can. Land it on the green and let it roll out to your pin. Yeah, one more before I let you go, and I want to switch gears a little bit now. In, in a few weeks, we're going to have the Augusta National Women's Amateur event with the final round being played there at Augusta National. How big mm. of an event become for uh, women's amateur golf? Oh, I think it is outstanding. Of course, I would love for the, the young women to be playing at Augusta National for the entire event, but it's a start. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of talk when it was first announced about why the LPGA, it should be the LPGA playing the event. They're not a bunch of amateurs. And I disagree because the players on the LPGA have lots of opportunity to play wonderful golf courses. And, and to be honest, I'm not sure that the, if they really thought about it, they really, uh, uh, dug deep down the comparison of the pro women versus the pro men on that golf course, I think would be overwhelming. Um, and I don't think it would be a bonus, but for the amateur golfers, they don't have as many opportunities to play exceptional golf courses like Augusta National. So I think it's a wonderful step, and I hope that in the future we get to see, um, you know, maybe the, the final two rounds on Augusta instead of just the final round. But, boy, this is the one time that I would like to be that, you know, 20-year-old kid playing college golf and, and top ranked so that I could get that invitation because what a, what a great opportunity um, for that. And, and for all those young younger kids who are there at the drive, chip, and putt, for those girls, little girls, to know that they might have the opportunity to play Augusta National one day in that event, it's just, uh, I think it's really inspiring. I, I Kudos to Augusta National for, for making that happen. And, and uh, you know, I'll definitely be watching to see score. I hope, I wish I could get up there to see it, but, um, you know, I, definitely watching to, to follow some of the players that I know that are playing and um, and sort of be happy for them um, and for women's golf, too, for, for that event, because I think it's going to be wonderful. Gail, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and uh, follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Well, I've got uh, my website, gailgramgolf.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram is gailgram, gailgramgolf.com, so you can find me there. Um, you can follow me once in a while on the Golf Channel and some of the uh, LPGA events. Um, I do some commentating out there, and um, obviously at Esplanade Golf Club um, and Golf and Country Club down here in Naples. Um, come visit me. Would love to see everybody and, and also uh, to hear from them as well. Well, Gail, it's always a huge thrill having you as part of the show. I can't thank you enough for coming back and uh, joining me again tonight. I hope you'll do it again soon. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. Really appreciate it. Take care, Gail. All the best to you and your family. Thanks. See you, Gail. That's the great Gail Graham. And I tell you, folks, GailGrahamGolf.com is uh, the name of her website. It's absolutely outstanding stuff and uh, a lot of great articles, a lot of great videos, a lot of great instruction, and really looking forward to having her as part of the show again real soon. I've got my next guest, Tom Patry, hanging on the line. I'm going to get to Tom right on the other side of this real quick message about our friends over at Two Under. I want to welcome our newest sponsor, Two Under Men's Performance Briefs, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour. Worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, 
Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, but that's another story. And your girlfriend and her wife is going to love the side effects, a visibly enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market. Use code ONTHET20 to save 20% off your order at twounder.com. And that's the number two, U-N-D-R dot com. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is my good friend Tom Patry. He is now one of the top 25 instructors for Golf Tips Magazine. You guys know, joining me a couple of times a month, and I couldn't be more thrilled about that. And speaking of thrilled, the folks up in Indiana have absolutely got to be thrilled that he is now the new director of golf instruction at the Hawthorns Golf and Country Club in Fishers, Indiana. And uh, I am certainly honored that he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Good evening, TP. Thanks for coming back on the show. Christopher, how the heck are you, pal? Nice to hear from you. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Thank you, Tom. So as you might have heard, we had uh, we had Gail Graham on the show right before you. And I started off with Gail asking, what's it like to share the practice tee with Tom Patry? So as turnabout is fair play, what's it like sharing the practice tee with Gail Graham? I was listening to that interview. I, I, I tuned in at 8 o'clock, as I always do, loyally to your show, Chris. And uh, I'm not really used to, or maybe I'm not, you know, I shouldn't be allowed to follow a Hall of Famer. I mean, anytime you have a person on the tee with, experience that Gail has a playing professional, um, you know, you win an Australian Masters, you're inducted into your National Hall of Fame. Um, it, it's got to be a real honor to be alongside. She's not only a, a great teacher and, a, and it was a wonderful player, but she's just a wonderful human being. And uh, I think the ladies at Esplanade, um, I'm not sure they really recognize who they have walking around campus every day and, and how much they should be taking advantage of her knowledge as, as new players. Um, but I love working with Gail. She's she's been uh, she's been an asset to me as a partner, and uh, I've learned as much from her as I hope I've taught her. I mean, she she talks about me helping her with her teaching. Well, she's helped me just as much with my coaching. So it, it's fun being with her. She's she's just a she's a pleasure to be around. And Tom, you guys are both a part of Golf Tips Magazine, and uh, Gail was talking about some of the things that she's putting together for uh, upcoming um, uh, editions of that magazine. So. What are some of the things that uh, new subscribers need to rush out and get the magazine for it? Because uh, you're going to be putting some more things in there here soon as well. You know, Chris, a lot of things. You know, we, we have 25 great teachers in that magazine now, not not just me and not just Gail. So it's such a worthwhile investment to be part of that magazine as a, as a amateur golfer out there trying to get better. Um, I've got a, a – I'm very excited about the fact that Vic Williams, our editor, has uh, asked me to do a uh, – a, uh, column by issue two called TP Talks Golf. So that's going to be a new addition to the magazine. It's going to start this season. I'm excited to contribute that column every uh, every issue now, uh, as well as the instruction articles that I'll do. But don't don't tune into Golf Tips Magazine online or on the newsstand just because of me. There's, there's 24 other talented people now that are writing for that magazine. If you look at those resumes collectively, I I have no problem comparing our resumes as a, as a list, as a top 25 list. With any other list out there in any other magazine on on the planet, we have a really talented group of people now. 
And Tom, one of the things that you always drill into my head when you come on the show, and Gail even talked about it a little bit tonight as well, short game. It's short game, short game, short game. What are some of the you know, playing lessons that you can share with us tonight that uh, can help us maybe shave a stroke or two off of our scores based on playing better with our short game? You know, Chris, just like Gail said, you know, one of the things that, that jumps out of me all the time is we spend so much time on the practice with people, and, and I know Gail does this. I certainly do. We, we, we try to drag people over to the short game area. We try to drag people over the putting green. And, you know, what do they want to do? They want their hit their driver further or, or work in their full swing. You know, I was, I was teaching, uh, yesterday afternoon and I was working with a guy and I turned around, just glanced over my shoulder as I often do at the, uh, short game area esplanade behind me and it was, it was stone cold empty. I looked over at the putting ring to my right and it was stone cold empty and every, every spot on the range was full. I, I just, you know, after 39 years of doing this, I just shake my head sometimes. It's so hard for me to believe that the, the average player with all the information available today statistically hasn't embraced the short game, doesn't understand that's the quickest way for them to shave shots off their game. So my first tip is how about spending some time on your short game? How about just being a little more, more cognizant of how you divide your time up in your teaching day or your, or your practice day? You know, I don't let my players who are regular players with me, I drill into their head that when they come to the practice facility, they may not come to the tee first. They must go putt first ship and pitch second, and then if they still have time, the dessert is coming to the practice and hitting some full shots. So if you work from the green backwards, you work from the cup backwards, and all you did was manage your time better in terms of your practice usage, you'd be a better player tomorrow. Um, so, Chris, if I come to Atlanta and I find you on the range hitting drivers, you know, you're fired. You're done. It's over. <laughs> Indeed. As I should be, but you know, chicks dig the long ball, Tom. The chicks don't dig the putters. Yeah. That's that's where the problem yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, that's great, Chris. You know, you know, chicks cost too much money too. Just work on your putting. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> Tom. I, I want to get a couple of thoughts uh, for what's going on around uh, the game of golf now from a from a tournament perspective. Obviously, we're on the heels of the Arnold Palmer Invitational, which is just across the state from you there in Naples. Have you had an opportunity to go over there in the past to check out the tournament and uh, Mr. Palmer's event? Yeah, Mr. Palmer was a uh, was an acquaintance of mine. I was blessed to have spent some time in my life with him. Um, I actually shared a couple of lunches with him and uh, spent some time in his office on occasion, both in with Trobe and in in Orlando. He was uh, he's one of, certainly one of my heroes in golf. Um, I, I, you know, I think that anybody who has any love for this game, this is Arnold Palmer, uh, as we miss some of our heroes when they leave us. Um, he was a hero of mine as a little boy growing up in the game. He inspired me in the game. Everybody wanted to be Arnold Palmer and, or, or Seve Balaceros and, and, you know, the, the swashbuckling, charismatic kind of people that they were. So Arnold was definitely missed. Uh, what a display Francesco Malinari put on a Sunday. That was just unbelievable. I mean, I, I got to sneak home and catch the last four holes live from work, uh, which I don't often get to do. And, you know, here, here's a guy that plays golf so simply. There's nothing... If you if you didn't know who he was and you're on a range next to him, he probably wouldn't impress you hitting golf balls. I mean, it's nothing spectacular. It's just pure, simple management. Plays within himself. Plays beautifully balanced golf. Doesn't get very excited. Doesn't you know? Doesn't overpower the golf course. Doesn't. If you saw Francesco Molinari hitting balls next to Dustin Johnson, you'd think that you know, <laughs> one was his pro am partner maybe. You know, but I mean, the guy is amazing. How 
in control. He is of his golf ball and his golf game. I, I really like the guy a lot. He's, he's definitely, uh, you know, an inspiration to the little man out there playing golf the way, maybe more the way the member could play golf, you know. And Tom, you mentioned Seve, and now you know we're we're a couple of weeks short of uh, the Masters, so we're all starting to look ahead to that. And I know you worked uh, with Seve for a time. You spent some time with him. He won a couple of Green Jackets in '80 and '83. Your thoughts of remembering Seve and what made him so good out there at Augusta National? Well, thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. Yeah, he was. Uh, he became a dear friend. Uh... I would call him a very much a part-time student. I was not a huge influence in his, his golf, although I got to spend some time working with him. But he was extremely kind to me. We got to be very, very friendly. Um, every time, every time this time of year, the Masters comes around, and certainly the Open Championship and the Open Championship comes around, I, I can't help but not think about him. Um, and I think about him much more often than that. I've, I've got a whole file on my iPad uh, devoted to pictures of Chevy competing and swinging. Um, he, you know, he was, uh, he was like Arnold. He was a different cat. He was very charismatic. He was very passionate about his golf. Um, nobody, I don't think any two people on the planet loved the, loved the game of golf more than Arnold and Seve possibly, but, uh, it's certainly something I think about Masters time. Masters time is very exciting for me. It's my favorite tournament on the planet and, and I don't have any problems saying that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't work on Masters Sunday. I never, I never have booked a lesson on Masters Sunday. My book is always X out on Masters Sunday, and I'm the guy who watches the, you know, the 11 o'clock highlights and anything on ESPN on the Golf Channel. I can't get enough of Masters Week, and you know, I, we go on occasion. Denise and I go up there. We've been to a couple of tournaments. I've been to four or five of them now. Um, it's 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 the pinnacle for me. You know, there's nothing nothing greater than Masters Week. And Tom, here we are. It is Players Championship Week. And uh, I want to get your thoughts on, on that tournament as well. You know, we look at, uh, at uh, TPC Sawgrass and Pete Dye's course and the 17th green and all of that. What uh, what sticks out for you when you're watching the players? So this is when I get in trouble, Chris. So you always see one of those up in every interview. I mean, this is where I really get in trouble with my peers at the PGA of America. I think, I think the stature of that tournament, the quality of that field, the quality of that golf course, it's the strongest field in golf all year long, the purse, the tradition, who's won that golf tournament now, how they've won that golf tournament. I think that's golf's not I don't think it's golf's fifth major. I think it's golf's fourth major. I think it's ahead of the PGA championship and I am gonna get bad emails for this one, I'm gonna get bad text <laughs> messages for this one. Really bad. But there's no comparison to the strength of the field with the PGA championship. It, you know, I, I think that, you know, people have trouble Sometimes, and, I, and I'm a traditionalist, but sometimes I have trouble with tradition and, and understanding or seeing what it is for what it really is. But that is a major championship, and, and, and you know, I, I think strength of field alone puts it ahead of the PGA. I think now we're, you know, we're, we're a bunch of decades into this event. Look at who's won it, how they've won it, the excitement of it, the excitement of that golf course, what Pete did with that golf course with stadium golf. There's so many positives about that tournament that just, jump off the screen at you. So many storylines to that tournament. You know, the 17th green, going to 16 and 2, the drive on 18. I mean, you know, come on, folks. That That is a major golf championship. Tom, I want to get a couple other thoughts from you. And first, I saw you tweeted out that Mountain Lake Country Club there in Lake Wales, Florida, you said that is in your personal top 10. Talk about that that course. And what are some of the other courses in Tom Patry's top ten? Well, Mountain Lake is a really unusual uh, beast. 
Because it's, it's, it's tucked away in Lake Wells, Florida, which is, which is not nowhere, but it's right next to nowhere. Um, you couldn't, you couldn't trip over it off, off of, you can't, you can't get there off an interstate. You have to, some back roads to get there. It's, it's tucked away in sleepy, quiet Lake Wells, Florida. It's a Seth Rainer, you know, you know, early turn of the century design. It's Seth Rainer at its very best, who, who happens to be my favorite. Um, it's totally untouched, totally unspoiled. Um, it's not on most, it's not on very many people's radar screens, but it hasn't been altered. It hasn't been changed. It's probably, and I don't think it's 6,800 100 yards falling off the very back tee. It's so much fun. You know, there's a barrette, there's a there's a punch bowl. You know, um, you know every there's a redan. Every every traditional golf hole from Scotland is on that golf course, and they're not replicas. They are really well done, like a really well done redan, a really well done barrette, a really well done punch bowl. Um, in, in, in classic design of, of golf holes, it's just a fantastic place. It's a sleepy, tucked away. It's like walking back and it's like going back in time. Every time I drive through the gate, I feel like I'm back in 1935 or something like that. It's just, it's one of my favorite places to go. It's not overdone. It's not overwhelming. It's not over the top. It's simple, pure golf right in front of you. So it's really white, way up on my list. Um, it's, it's not, it's not the bravado of an Oakmont or, or Shinnecock or anything like that. It's just, it's just, just great fun golf. The way golf really should be, I think, for the member and even for the better player. It, it's a challenging golf course. It's fun. But as far as my, my favorites, I mean, there's so many to choose from, Chris, but I mean, you know, here, here in the States, Shinnecock and National Golf Links of America, I'm a Long Island boy, so I always go back to my roots. Those two are, you know, two places that, you know, were always revered as me as a kid growing up. Beth Page Black certainly is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, you know, as a public course kid growing up there, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of the cathedral of public golf in the world. It's, and it's one of the hardest damn golf courses you'll ever play. Um, you know, so those are some of my favorites there up in the Northeast. You know, you know St. Andrews, you have to put that in the mix just because it's St. Andrews and it feels like you're going to the Vatican. I'm a big Carnoustie fan. I'm a big Turnberry fan. Um, so those are some of my favorites. San Francisco Golf Club on the West Coast and, and Cypress Point are, are, are two of my all-time favorites. Cypress Point might be my favorite walk in golf. So if, if you just took those golf courses and put them on your list, I think you'd uh, pretty much have died and gone to heaven. Tom, just a couple more before we let you go. And and one of the things that I hear a lot of people say is, boy, he or she's got a good golf swing, but they're not a good ball striker. What's the difference? How do, how do you how can you have a good golf swing but still not be a good ball striker? Because you can't find the middle of the face. You know, I mean, pretty doesn't perform necessarily. You know, the only the only box that matters on a scorecard, Chris, is the one right after the 18th hole you put that last number in. I mean. You think Jim Furyk has a pretty golf swing? Raymond Floyd, Chichi Rodriguez? None of those were pretty, but they all got the ball to come out of the, of the middle of the face in a compressed manner. So I'm not a big pretty fan. I don't really care much about pretty. I'm more a functionality guy. So if you can compress the golf ball and, and make the ball come out of the middle of the face, there's a lot of ways to skin that cat. I'm, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm not a method teacher. That's not why, you know, you have, everybody has to do it the same way, teacher. I mean, if you look at the greatest golf swings on tour, um, you'd find fault in just about every one of them. I mean, you'd find something you wanted to change, and you'd be a fool to change any of them in most cases. I mean, you know, I mean, Jim Furyk, if you didn't know who Jim Furyk was and, and you saw him on the range next year, he'd give him to his side, you know, and he'd, he'd beat the living tar out of you, you know. I mean, Jim Furyk makes the ball come out of the face, in the middle of the face, every single time. So I, I think 
you know, I was influenced by the great late Bill Strasbaugh and Jim Flick, and, and they both imparted their wisdom on me and said to me, be careful when you rush in there with somebody. You know, watch a lot of shots, watch the ball flight, watch the consistency of the flight, and listen to the sound off the face. If you like where the ball goes and you like the trajectory and the curvature and you like where the sound's coming off the face, you know, so I, I watch a lot of shots with my players, my, especially my better players, before I make many changes. Um, I don't think pretty is the answer. I think functionality is the answer. Tom, before we let you go, we want you to keep teeing it up. Uh, you're headed to Fishers, Indiana in a couple of months. At, uh, you're now the director of golf instruction at the Hawthorne's Golf and Country Club up there. Let the people of Indiana know what's coming their way. Well, I mean, I think what's coming their way is fundamentally sound teaching and coaching. I mean, I think, you know, Chris, you know, I've talked a lot of golf over the last couple of years together. I'm, I'm a fundamentalist. You know, Gail said so many great things about grip, aim, alignment, stance, posture, ball position, and spacing. And if you don't get the launching pad right, you know, not much can go right in the motion. So I think what they're going to hear is a really fundamentally sound approach to the game. I think they're going to hear things that they can actually do and achieve. I think they're going to feel, they're going to leave the practice tee every single time with me, not confused about their golf swing, not confused about their golf game. I think they're going to say, why didn't I do this 20 years ago? Why wasn't I a fundamentalist? Why was I you know, chasing the holy grail? Um, I'm really excited. I'm excited when I have new people in front of me because they, you know, they're, they're ready to get better. You know, if they, a person takes time out of their schedule to take an hour of golf lesson, they want to be there. They want to get better. There's a reason they want to be there. So I love that passionate golfer. I love that person in search of a better strike, a better, you know, a better compression off the face. I'm excited about being up here. Tommy Moore is a dear friend. Uh, I, I'm so I'm so grateful to him for having me as part of his staff. It, it should be a lot of fun. It's a part of the country I have not spent any time in. I've heard so many great things about it. There's so many Midwesterners in Naples that it's just polite, fun, respectful people. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to being up there. Tom, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, both on your website and now you're you know you're all over Twitter and Instagram. Let them know how they can follow you there as well. Yeah, Chris, every social media platform, just like you, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, and, and multiple pages on Facebook, uh, the website is simply TomPatry, P-A-T-R-I dot com. Um, I, I, I love hearing from people. I love hearing their comments on those pages. I, I love when they reach out. Um, email address is tpatry at mindspring.com, and I love, you know, getting people to ask me their questions or give me their thoughts. Uh, I just love talking to people about the game, as, as you do, Chris. That, that's why we do this, because we love the greatest game on the planet. So I'm, I'm excited. As you should be, and as the people up in Indiana should be as well. Tom, thank you so much for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. I love the fact that you're going to be joining me a couple of times a month. It's, uh, it's certainly my favorite segment of the show. Thank you for being here tonight. Chris, my man, it's a pleasure to be with you. You know how much I, I, I love the fact that you're, you're so passionate about the game like anybody out there that loves the game is. I mean, people like we talk about Artie, we talk about Seve tonight, you know, Gail Graham certainly, and, you know, you're no different than us, man. You're just one of the people that really love the game and respect the game, and we're, we're happy you're part of our game. Thank you for having me, pal. I appreciate you, TP. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up in a couple of weeks. Thank you, sir. See you, Tom. That is the great Tom Patrick. Tom Patrick Golf. I'm telling you, folks, you got to follow him both on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Go go check out his website, Tom Patrick, P-A-T-R-I. I'm telling you, you're going to find a lot of great content, a lot of great videos, a lot of great instruction. And as we started out the segment talking about, 
Golf Tips Magazine. Tom is uh, one of the, the leaders in, uh, we're putting all the content and the other instructors together for that magazine. Obviously, his content is going to be in there. And uh, when I found out all about this, you know, months ago, I certainly was, you know, very quick to go out and subscribe to the magazine. So many great instructors. And there are so many of the, the folks that have been a part of this show over the years as well. Our good friend Cindy Miller is on there as well. Allison Kurtz, who's absolutely fantastic. So a lot of great instructors are a part of Tom's team there on Golf Tips uh, Magazine. So highly recommend it. I, I take it to the practice range with me because I'll open up the magazine, lay it on the ground, and I'm following the instruction that Tom or Gail or Cindy or Allison or those guys are putting together to make sure that I'm getting better. I can't recommend it highly enough. Look forward to having Tom back on the show here in a couple of weeks. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out again to Bob Estes, Gail Graham, and, of course, Tom Patry for joining me again tonight. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Team with Chris Mascaro. Give me a like. Give me a comment. Give me a question that you would like for me to get answered for you. I'd be glad to pass it along to the appropriate person, get that uh, question answered for you, whether it's on the air or off. I'll be glad to put it out there for you as well. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net. On there, you'll be able to see who our guest schedule is and who will be joining me here. Uh, very much uh, appreciate the fact that uh, folks are going on there, checking out the content. And uh, obviously, we link back to our page over on Podbean so you can listen download or stream any of our archive episodes for free from there. So we link back to that page over on Podbean. Next on the T, you'll find it front and center there on the Podbean app as well, right there in the golf section. So really appreciate everybody that's checking out the show through there as well. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe Lajanusha. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio or as a free podcast. Again, that show like this one available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Amazon, Alexa. So just check us out pretty much anywhere that you've got uh, podcasting content. You're going to find both shows. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends who come on and share their stories from their playing days and lend us their insights into what's going on around the league now as well. Plus, we highlight two players doing great things in their communities and our spotlight on the positive segment. You can find that website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com. And again, this one, NextOnTheT.net. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you're making us part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. instructor